Welcome to Behind the Event, a podcast that dives deep into the event industry. I'm Eric Westendorf, the founder of Event Render. The podcast is brought to you by Event Render. We help you run profitable virtual and live events through exceptional design. Be sure to check out our helpful event applications and design services at eventrender.com. Also, be sure to subscribe and like on whichever platform you use for podcasting, or if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and like there. And now we bring you Behind the Event. So today, basically, we're going to talk about uh, live streaming virtual events and the future of our industry, the event industry, which has gone through a lot of changes. Um, and uh, Nick Bacon is uh, the founder of Mainstream Media, and uh, he's uh, dealt with the issues that we've all dealt with, and uh, he's uh, he's got definitely some knowledge that uh, I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in. And so awesome to have you here. And uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah. So I'll let you take it from here just as far as uh, your story. So can we hear like um, sort of about your story uh, as well as the company's story, what your what your goals are, what your what you've done, what you're where you're going? Yeah, for sure. Um, my background is in traditional video production and, and cinematography. You know, I graduated with a cinematography degree back in 2008 right at the height of the recession. So great time to come out of school with a uh, with a an arts degree and a um, and a Latin degree was my second degree. So um, real burgeoning fields in the in the middle of uh, what seemed like a pretty bad recession back then. Uh, I worked for a while just in video production and in various positions as a director, producer, cam up, basically anything that I could get my hands on. Um, and get dirty with. I was always really interested in having my hands on the actual devices and kind of being in control of, of that, always behind the camera, never never really in front of it. Uh, but spent a good amount of time doing that and um, eventually made my way out to Chicago uh, where a buddy of mine and I started our video production company. And what we what I quickly learned about Chicago is that it's a very relationship-based city. Um, it's a, I think like a lot of big cities, the way you kind of rise up there is by who you know. And so as an introvert, the process of networking and meeting a bunch of people was really challenging to me. And, um, and so it was hard for me to kind of break into, into the right circles. Um, but video production is like what I know how to do. It's kind of the only thing I know how to do at this point. Um, so I knew that I wanted to stay in that field. And um, after talking about it for a while, my, um, my buddy Drew and I decided that what we were going to do was find a niche inside video production um, that not as many people were doing, but we felt like maybe people would be doing more of. Um, this was back in 2012, 2011. Um, and so we decided to focus on live streaming. We had had a few clients who had asked us to do webinars and uh, you know e-learning and, and, and little events, things like that. And every time we did it, it was a big, crazy process, like just a real cluster trying to figure out how to do it. Again, back in 2011, things were like a little bit different um, than the the landscape was, was very different, right? So there was no YouTube Live, there was no Facebook Live. Um, every time we had to do it, we had to kind of start from scratch and, and rebuild. But we learned pretty quickly that um, there was, it was, that was a good space to explore 
and to grow because really the only folks who were doing that, who were live streaming to the web were these like big broadcast companies like NBC, you know, um, and affiliates like that. They were the ones who were working with clients to, to broadcast stuff to the web. And, you know, they were charging NBC rates, you know, 20, 30, $50,000, whatever it is. And, you know, me and Drew, we were like two hungry young kids. We were like, well, I mean, we're doing this. We can do the same thing, just the two of us, um, with some of the newer technology out there for like a fraction of the cost. So we started getting in, started doing more and more jobs, um, kind of learning on the way. Um, once YouTube Live became a thing, that was the first place, that was the first time, that was the first kind of inflection point that I noticed in the industry. People were like, oh, I can go live on YouTube. Like maybe I'm gonna do my conference live on YouTube. Maybe I'm gonna do a press conference. So we started seeing more people kind of explore it. Um, so that was kind of a big building point for us. And then once Facebook opened up uh, live streaming, once Facebook Live became a thing in 2015, somewhere around there, um, that's when the floodgates kind of broke um, and everyone started requesting it. So at that point, we were really well positioned because we had been doing it for about four years at that point. We had a good system in place. And so we kind of rode that social live wave um, for a while, uh, really until, uh, really until about three months ago, you know, March of, March of 2020. And that was the last, that, that's the latest big inflection point in our industry. I think up until that point, we were kind of viewed as an ancillary in the events industry. So we would partner with a lot of event producers, organizers, folks who were putting on live events in a real space. And they would call us in to figure out how to get their content onto Facebook Live, onto YouTube, onto private platforms, whatever. Um, but once COVID hit, we kind of became the event producers because it was all in a virtual space. So we had that that expertise. Um, and so that was a big, that was, that pretty much brings us up to where we are today. Now we're a virtual event production company predominantly. Um, we're starting to get more requests back for that kind of live streaming stuff. But um, really, I think from this point forward for us, the, the focus is virtual events. How do, you, how do you do them? How do you build audiences um, with people who aren't in a, in a physical space, getting them to interact and engage and ultimately just create a connection with the brand or the nonprofit or, or whoever it is that we're working with? Right. Is there a, is there a specific element around all that, that, um, your clients and people that you've talked to and work with are most confused about? Like, is there, is there some part of your work that people are, that misunderstand the most, you know, when, when it comes to all this stuff, because it is fairly tech, tech savvy stuff and everyone's shifting. Yeah. It's, it's super tech heavy stuff. And even more so now, uh, we're often, uh, our producers are often having to kind of be these dual roles where they're not only producing a show, but they're kind of like IT support um, for folks. I think that's been the most confusing thing for people is like everyone, because everyone's on their home networks now, they kind of have to learn how to manage their own network. Um, and that's, especially when you're working with 
speakers and C-level executives, folks like that, those are folks who probably haven't had that experience in a long time. Even if they're working in a tech industry, that's mostly handled for them. So uh, yeah, a lot of the work that we do is like, in tech checks being on calls with like the ceo of some publicly traded company and being like okay so this is what your router is and i'm going to need you to take that blue wire and make sure that it's plugged in from your computer to your router um and then sometimes getting more complicated than that but like yeah this whole kind of new universe where like your broadcast department is also your it department is um that's been that's been a technical challenge. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that we're experiencing is um, like the difference between what a Zoom room is and what a broadcast is. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in virtual events uh, leverage tools like Zoom right. to pull in speakers and then design a show around it. Um, that's not always intuitive for for the speakers themselves. Oftentimes their experience is inside of Zoom. And so they're kind of um, experiencing the event as if it were a Zoom call with a bunch of people on. Um, but then the audience, the thousands of people who are watching are not in that Zoom room. They are on YouTube, on Facebook, on, on someone's website, and they're not seeing you know the grid or the spotlighted videos. They're seeing um, whatever it is that we're sending to them, which is often, you know, multiple uh multiple feeds simultaneously and stuff like that so there's definitely been learning uh for just the average panelist presenter about like what like what how this all works <laughs> yeah 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 because yeah. yeah. there's i mean there's always going to be things in the background that are happening the end user isn't going to understand and it a lot of times is too tough to explain it so you just like <laughs> It's just going right. to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, nor should they be expected sure. to understand right, right. or like run their own IT department. Yeah. Um, and I think we're okay. Like, I feel okay helping people with that because every person that I talk to is like, there's so much that they're talking about that is just completely over my head. I have no idea what they're talking about. And like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody specializes, right? Right. Definitely. Yep. Uh, are you, are you finding that um, uh, now that, uh, COVID is happening and we can start to talk about this a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. now that things have changed, um, are you finding that you have to implement stuff within the spaces that they're already in or, or how, how is that working with, with what you guys do? Like, I know some companies are sending equipment to other, uh, you know, to where, where their clients are and whatnot. How mm -hmm. do you guys tackle mm -hmm. all that? Yeah, we have, we as a company, had a conversation about this in March um, to decide what we wanted to do. And we ultimately decided that at least um, at least up until now, up until this point, like today, July 17th, we are not physically going on site. Okay. So we've just decided that like it's too much of a health risk. No, nobody from mainstream, n nobody like with a mainstream email address is going on site anywhere yeah. um, and I think that at the start of July end of June we were thinking about it we we're like well maybe things are gonna get better and so we can start to have conversations about what like things look like if we go back um, but obviously we've seen huge spikes uh, over the last few weeks because people aren't following the instructions that are that are given to them 
um, about wearing pub, uh, wearing masks publicly and, and things like that. So, um, so we've just we are continuing to just stay remote. Um, that means that we we've had to take our entire workflow and figure out how to do that remotely. Um, as a team, we had a couple of advantages with that. I my team is based in Chicago. I now live in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and so we have had to figure out how to work remotely. Um, we had to figure that out about a year and a half ago, two years ago when I when I first moved here. So we kind of already we had a little bit of a head start um, with that. And we've always had um, flexible time for employees in terms of like um, if you're not required to be in the office, then you can work from home. There's no obligation for people to be in the office just to do just to send emails or whatever. Um, so most of our, most everyone had at home, had office space at home already. Um, but you know, there's just a ton of compromises that you have to make when, when you move to a remote workflow. I yeah. mean, we were used to using our $15,000 camera packages um, for a live show and you know, a, a $15,000 camera package gives you a certain quality of image. Now we're lucky if people have an external USB webcam. Yeah. Um, and so it's been a little bit of kind of compromising with ourselves on quality. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but, but that forces us to think about like what is truly important sure. for a show. Yeah. Um, and, and also how do we, if, if that level of quality is important for a show, um, how do we get there even around a remote, workflow and so yeah that occasionally means sending gear packages out to people yeah. and, uh, and stuff like that right yeah overall the message and the content that they're uh they're going for is the most important <clears throat> part of it all right yeah for the most part i mean content is king right we want we want to be putting out as high quality content as possible especially right now because um, that, all of a sudden versus the production quality you know two different things to a degree Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about production quality as well, right? Like qual quality of production is a really good way to differentiate yourself from what everyone else is doing, right? And so over the last four months, we've seen a huge influx of virtual events because the entire events industry has moved online. Um, and we're seeing a lot of people who are experimenting with it and whether it's maybe they're hosting their first Zoom event, maybe they're going live on Facebook for the first time. So we've done a lot of work to help clients distinguish themselves to say like uh this isn't new to us we are executing at this at this level so yeah that's been big for us gotcha okay um <clears throat> just a couple quick <clears throat> questions here more around um around what you guys do again and and the, the mm -hmm. things that you've noticed with with what you've been doing so <clears throat> are there any tips or tricks um that you could give to people, you know, let's say they're your clients or anyone uh, in general that, that might need to think about or, or that that's good to think about when uh, when you're wanting to stream more. Um, yeah, that anyone can do, um, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so for us, I think there's like a couple of ways to uh, to shake this question, and I and I will I'll give you like an insider tip. I'll give like everyone should know this when you are watching a virtual event 80% of the content that you're seeing right now is pre-recorded mm -hmm. 
if you're watching a... That was going to be my, one of my next questions is pre-record yeah. versus live. What, what's yeah. I mean, you know, you have to control what you can control, right? Yeah. And if the message is important um, and interaction is less important, then absolutely like pre-record the content mm -hmm. and then stream it out. Yeah. You're going to have much better quality. You know, like you're not going to have internet drops, th things like that. So that's one thing. Whatever you can pre-record, do it. Um, the second thing is the the when you do a live show, it should not be the first time you're doing that show. Um, so for us, whenever we have a virtual event, it is nor we will have our event. We will have a tech rehearsal the day before where we will literally go queue to queue and we will do the entire show with everybody there mm -hmm. to make sure that everything is practiced and rehearsed right. because transitions can feel a little bit strange in the digital space yep. um, because you're introducing just slight degrees of latency depending on would you say you treat this just like a live event then and that and that you need to rehearse in the same manner? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same concept, right? Like you don't want your, your show day to be the first day you've done the show. Right. Um, so yeah, you're doing those tech rehearsals beforehand. I would say that like, we, yeah, we've taken that kind of on-site process and turned it into a virtual space. The, the part that is, um, where virtual events are like way more challenging now is it used to be the case that like you could get everybody into a room together and you could go through your show, mm -hmm. right? And so like everybody kind of practices together. Now you have to, everybody is apart. And so you have to connect with people individually. Um, and like, if you have 10 presenters, you often have to go through the show 10 times. So the amount of work has like way increased, which was actually a surprise to me when I was first thinking about virtual events. I was like, oh, this is gonna be way easier. Like I'm just gonna be at home all day and I'll just be able to run an event. Um, but no, there's a lot more work <laughs> that goes into it, it turns out. Would you say um, that there's that, that the rehearsal part or is, is in a way the most important part? I was gonna ask you, what is what do you think the most important part of, of the whole thing is, or would you say <laughs> it's everything? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's proper preparation, okay. right? Um, if you don't, if you don't prepare for a show correctly, then like you're not, your show isn't guaranteed to be a success. Right. right? right. And so, yeah, it's the whole process leading up to it. Right. You know, the tech rehearsal is super important, but like the tech checks are also important. Connecting with each presenter independently before the tech rehearsal to like make sure their internet is good, make sure their camera is, is, is good. Um, if you do that legwork in the, at the front, then you're going to have a good show. Right. That's yeah, totally makes sense. I think a lot of people tend to uh, not not think it's as important, but uh, mm -hmm. but it's huge, right? Especially yeah. with just the comfort the comfort of everyone that's doing it, whether it's the presenters and the people in the background, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and um, yeah, I think a lot of people in my position. Um, in the kind of like technical producing roles, a lot of folks are going to say it's the gear that's important, um, which like to an extent is true. But mm. my perspective is that gear is only as good as the engineer who is running it. And so in this new virtual space, like 
a, a brand spanking new raw switcher is not going to function all that differently than OBS or vMix or, or software switchers like that. So long as you're running that software on the right um, hardware, yep. then you can produce... You can produce the same type of show that that is going on 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 ESPN or or any live content that you see on TV. Because for the most part, those people are actually using the same tools as us now, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's that is interesting. Yeah, so you don't necessarily have to have. I've I've noticed the same thing with the, a lot of different parts of the industry. Or yeah. the production industry where it's you know you used to have to have the best audio equipment or something. Um, but in general now, you know, there's, there's definitely ways to get around that, especially if you're doing a smaller production. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl, you might want a lot more, but. Uh. <laughs> I mean, even when, like, even looking at the Super Bowl uh, as an example, right? ESPN did the um, draft day oh, yeah. a couple months ago, right. and they were using, they used open source, off the shelf, free software that you can download to your iPhone. They had 100 iPhones all running Larix Broadcaster, all tied into um, like a, a cloud-based studio. And it's the exact same setup that all of us are are using or that many of us are, are familiar with at yep. this point. So like, yeah, even ESPN is like, ha- is hacking it together a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they have the best engineers in the industry, don't right. get me wrong. So like a hack for them is a doctorate for us, but um, <laughs> But, you know, it's still the that's the point is like the tools don't matter so much as the engineers uh, behind it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I could definitely see that. Um, mm-hmm. I was just going to say too the the fact that I, I learned more and more that like some of the largest companies and, and whatnot are, are using apps like Zoom. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't necessarily have um, a better version and Zoom does what it what it does well and other other. Yeah other uh, platforms as well too so it's not yeah. odd to uh hear that some broadcasts might have been done with potentially zoom in the background right um, yeah for sure um oh and and i think talking about zoom for just a second yeah obviously like there's a ton of concerns about uh, about the security of of the platform um there are two things that you can do that will uh eliminate Zoom bombing. The first is always have a password. And the second is always enable a waiting room. Okay. And if you do those things, then you will not get, you will not get Zoom bombed. They won't be able to come in if you have a a waiting room or like you said, a password. Right, exactly. Waiting room, you have to manually approve everybody who's, who's coming in. So makes sense. Good things to think about for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think now also when you, set up zoom it automatically has the waiting room in it i believe um by default probably probably maybe that's something they changed uh, because of that <laughs> for sure um, yeah i mean that platform is is, is wild I, I look forward to reading the retrospective on what happened at that place dur- during this during this time it does feel like it's changing a little bit every day mm-hmm. so it's actually kind of hard running broadcasts on it because you expect it to behave in a certain way and then you're like oh that doesn't work anymore or that button uh prompts people instead of automatically doing the thing so um wish they had told me about that but that's cool <laughs> yeah it's just a surprise each time you, you yeah yeah exactly 
Um, so I want to go a little bit into kind of more of just the future of the industry and just get your take on, on everything. I'm, I'm sure a lot of it is, uh, you know, sort of straightforward. Like obviously everyone's hoping um, for the best and, and whatnot, but of course this, this time just like makes you think about um, different things that could happen. Uh, a lot of companies are trying new things and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um uh, including us. And so, so yeah, I just want to get, uh, your take on the future and just your perspective on what you think's happening. Yeah. So I could go through just a couple questions. Um, in general, how, I mean, you, you did say that, uh, you know, three or four months ago, you had to kind of switch, um, over most of, of your business. Is there anything else aside from switching that over, uh, that affected like the COVID-19 affected, your business, um, aside from just your client base and, and, and that, like, you know, to change, change your overall perspective. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that I, um, we, we had experience doing virtual events prior to, to COVID. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a super new process to us, mm. but given the option between, producing a an on-site event and a remote event a virtual event um had you asked me that three months ago 100 percent of the time i would have been more comfortable doing something on site that's just like a really tried and true um uh, workflow sure yeah uh what i'm seeing now is that virtual events in many ways can be a better experience than than in-person wow. events. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, I think it's tapping into a different type of audience, right? Like in, in-person events, if you're an extrovert, then it's, it's great. And this, and this pandemic has been hell for you and I am sorry. Um, but if you're an introvert, it is, it is work to go to these, to these kinds of things. So being able to attend events kind of on your own terms, um, has really opened up the event space for this massive group of people that have all that have traditionally had difficulty going to events. But so that's been really eye-opening to cost, me. Cost was, alone, if you can't afford to go to the event, potentially, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's another thing too. Is um, you know, uh, event producers don't have to consider space rental. They don't have to consider catering. Um, design is kind of virtual design, right? So instead of having um, set decoration, you may be hiring a web developer. Um, so I think that there's a lot of value in exploring virtual events and kind of continuing to explore it. And that was that was uh, not surprising to me, but it was eye-opening to me, like how drastic the the difference was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right, cool. Well, I think you answered a couple of questions there too, because I was going to ask what. Uh... What you're most excited about and in a way it's um if you want to add anything to that you definitely can but it sounds like you, you definitely um mentioned that uh there's a few things there that open up opportunities uh for for people and as well as yeah clients. So. well i think one other point that i that i want to make is like we are we are experiencing a pandemic and i think a lot of the focus kind of in this industry has been on that um, but there has also been uh, there has been a, a history of um, systemic abuse of like underrepresented p 
people of blacks and minorities in America. And like, that is also something that we are experiencing right now and in no way should be diminished by, um, by conversations around, um, around the, the pandemic. When we talk about like the future of the industries, both like events industries, broadcasting, um, I think people are, I hope at least that people are waking up to the fact that, um, minorities are extremely underrepresented in uh, in positions of, of power uh, in events industries and in and in broadcast and I am I am hoping that this is a, a wake-up call for for people to start bringing in a wider a, a more diverse group of people I mean I've like done, I do a lot of like spreadsheet crunching and like just kind of looking at trends and analytics. And I, a couple of years ago, just like went through LinkedIn uh, and looked at the top 50 video production companies in, in five different uh, geographies and found that on average they were hiring um, about, about 3% of their workforce was black, mm. which um, in the US, the black population is like 13 to 14%, I think. Mm. So, you know, there's this huge underrepresentation um, of of um, from minority communities, and I think that um, I, when we talk about like the future of these industries, I, I hope that that is something that people are are focusing on now as yeah. well. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, I, overall, I think uh, the the door has opened a bit, in as far as um, people, companies anyone that wants to, to try something within this industry because it is changing, you know, a lot of industries are changing, right? <laughs> but uh, our For industry sure. is definitely like, well, you know, it's, it's not going to get back to what it was for quite a while. So like we have a huge yeah. door or window uh, for a while of, of things that you can potentially do, um, which is awesome. And for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is just making sure that those opportunities get in front of, uh, of, of everyone equally. Definitely. Totally. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything on the other end, the flip side of things that you're concerned about with the future of the industry as far as, um, you know, things just looking, I, I don't want to be fear mongering, <laughs> but, uh, the, yeah. just, just the downsides, things that, that are harder to overcome, whether it's technically, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. things might be just slower to move because, uh, of the way things are. I mean, I'm pretty optimistic about things in general, uh, but uh, yeah, have you, sure. you noticed anything that your customers are saying or, or anything else that, that might be lacking? Well, I know that uh, a, a week or two ago, I was looking at the box office charts and I think the number one movie in America had, had about $200,000 in ticket sales, which is maybe a 10th of a percent of what the number one grossing movie was at this time yeah. last year. So that for sure, there's going, going to be... straight to Netflix now. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like drive-throughs, or I guess making a big comeback, which yeah. is pretty rad. Yeah. Um, so, like for sure, there is going to be long-term impact here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know that there are massive events companies, um, like Freeman and PSAV, who have had to lay off thousands, tens of thousands of employees. Yeah. Um, and 
Um, and so that is that is extremely disheartening. Um, my hope is that the the government does something to like make sure that people are uh, cared for and provided for um, in this in this time of transition. I think that's my biggest concern is like we don't really know when this is going to be over. We don't know when the events industry is going to be back to the level it was or the film industry or broadcast. Um, and we have 50 million people who have dropped out of the uh, out of the workforce, right? Like one third of right. the U.S. labor force is now unemployed. Yeah. So um, my my biggest fear is that the U.S. government doesn't do enough um, to support those people in the time of transition, and I really hope that they do. Yeah, I 100% agree. There's just not. There's basically the rug has been taken underneath. Uh, from underneath a lot of people and mm -hmm. there's absolutely no way to just jump back on board. <laughs> so, for exactly. a while, um, if you've devoted a lot of your time to the event industry or any other industry that's gotten, you know, affected like it has uh, with us, then um, mm -hmm. there, it, you can't just transition super quickly uh, a lot of times. So, yeah. That's and like, you know, this, this summer has been a, a terrible case study in that where like, States are tr aggressively trying to reopen and restaurants are doing so and then seeing a huge uptick in cases and then they're having to close back down. Yeah. Right. So now we're kind of in this like second wave of of um, of things shutting down. And it's just like, you know, people are trying people are trying to rush back into this because people need to work, which is true. Like we need to get a we need to like have a labor force and and. So people need to be able to support themselves but like the way that it's happening is um not really thinking about public health first it's more yeah. kind of focused on the economy and that's been tough yeah to yeah we'll see how all, all of it plays out it is the it's uh coming on the end of july so we'll see where we are in a few months and hopefully hopefully things have uh you know with the curve have, have gone down and uh yeah. And we're all just figuring out a way to be smarter about it. And then also, hopefully, like like you said, the government is able to uh, put some actions in place so so we can yeah. we can actually be healthy. <laughs> um, so just two two more quick uh, questions. We'll try to end on a positive note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be a Debbie Downer. Right, right. Guess, you know, it is a pandemic right now. So yeah. Um, so uh, one quick one. Like, how do you, how do you continue to Obviously, things are changing right now. So, how do you continue to sort of stay on top of things and learn and grow and 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 all that stuff? I mean, there's so much uh, stuff out there, like this podcast that I'm putting out. <laughs> so, sure. so, what do you what do you do? You know, and and everyone's probably different, but what do you do to typically uh, try to stay on top of things? Um. Yeah, I, I'm trying to have more active conversations with with folks whose opinions I, I trust. Sure. So it's just like reaching out to um, content experts who like clearly kind of know their stuff and following the stuff that is that is right and not getting distracted by the things that are um, maybe new or spurious. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've seen is like um, over the last three months, uh, we were talking about this yesterday, is yeah. like, how many new virtual events platforms have you seen <laughs> in the last 90 days that you've never heard of before, okay. right? 
I've hundreds maybe. Um, so, you know, part, I think that's kind of a, a big part of it is like figuring out who to trust. And for me, I, I trust my team first. So talking to all the folks that I'm working with at mainstream, um, that's super important and just kind of having those open communi- open lines of communication. Um, but then also just building community with folks who are kind of in a similar space. And I think that's another place where I've really um, learned a lot is starting to build like a Slack channel of other people who are experiencing this alongside of me, other virtual event producers and technical directors, um, folks who have been doing this for, who aren't just 60 days into their virtual event production career, but who have been doing it for a long time. And just like talking to them and being like, hey, like, what are you noticing? What are the right platforms to use? Um, What is the you know, how do we integrate like SRT into a workflow or NDI over IP or like all of these different protocols? Like what are the what are the strategies that you're using? So it's kind of like building that brain trust, mm-hmm. you know, I think is, is, has been really helpful for me. Yeah, I would jump on the same same boat and say that, uh, yeah, I've been trying to, to talk with as many people as I can and actually grow like a deeper understanding for what other people are doing and, and how they're working and, and basically mm-hmm. make more connections because, um, yeah, the deeper you go, I think the more you can learn and figure out ways to navigate what the heck is going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At the, at the start of this, like the very first thing that I did when we shuttered our doors is I just like sent out a message across Facebook and Instagram, like all the different places that I kind of, talk to people and I was like, let's all get together and just like talk about this. And for literally for three or f- I think for like four weeks, I had 16 meetings a day, 16 half hour meetings a day um, with different people in various parts of the industry, events, broadcast, IT, AV, and just like listening. Yeah, like, that's, that's great. How has this impacted you? Um, so that really, that was really kind of helpful for, for me, I think just listening to people. I'm sure. I'm sure you learned quite a bit. (laughs) Quite a a bit of different stories probably too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I I learned what my like tolerance for Zoom calls is, like how many I can do in a day. turns out 16 was aggressive. That was too good. I guess it's a little different if you're listening as opposed to, it depends on the person you are too, but either way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right, so quickly, last question. This may be hard for you. Uh, to answer, I don't. I don't really know. Um, I think I would have learned maybe with it. Uh, if you had an extra 500k in your budget, yeah, uh, how would you spend it and why? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a that is a challenging question. Um, I think that for you could make I up a different that, number too if something is more ideal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing that I'm seeing right now is like, I know I work with a ton of AV companies and events companies who have millions of dollars invested in their gear. Yeah. And all of that gear is just sitting in a warehouse right now collecting dust. Right. And so making those investments in like, uh, like making those capital investments right now feels like a tough thing to do. Sure. Um, I'm more interested in spending money on, um, I think, 
the like softer sciences, um, marketing, development, um, building out our own our own products, um, and really just kind of strengthening uh, or expanding what we what we already have. Yeah, so, no, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I would say the same exact thing. I think. Um, yeah, figuring out more about what you're doing, how how you can be better at it, and then uh, basically creating a better uh, service and uh, yeah. product for your own customer in general as well. <laughs> yeah, and I would I'd probably if if I just if like a bucket of five hundred thousand dollars dropped into my lap, um, I would probably just pay to get fiber lines installed to all my tech directors' house just so we have that as a backup. I think like and then you could you could just tell all of your customers that they're never going to have to leave because you have the best internet around. That's right. That's right. I own the internet. These are my pipes. <laughs> yeah. Once once you experience uh, fiber and stuff, it's it's like wow. Yeah, I don't even know this is possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like I I remember um going from dial up to cable in like whatever it was 99 2000 something like that and it was just like it was like entering the matrix yeah. you know there is so much information available at my fingertips now okay. i actually have one more quick question that just made me think of this but do, are you like well versed in what's happening with the 5g rollout with with cell cell towers and whatnot um I'm I'm not super well versed in it. I just thought, you know, because that's basically going to allow um, cellular data to be to have a huge jump, right? So, yeah, um, I haven't been following it extremely closely. Just kind of catching um, pieces of it here and there. I mean, look, having new, having more bandwidth available for the type of stuff that we're doing is fantastic. Yeah. Thumbs up across the board for that. Um, cellular has always been a bit challenging as like a reliable source. And often in our industry, if you're doing virtual events and you're on a cell, you're on a cell network, it's it's part of a bonded solution. So you're tying in multiple cell networks, tying them into your hard line um, to like supplement. Uh, I think that there's there's challenges with with 5G like at the start. And so it's it's not going to be something that like Gen One, we we jump onto. Yeah. Um, just because even on like four G, I mean, and I, I'm sure that like in events you've experienced this, right? Where like a bunch of people show up and then there's no cell signal, right? Because they're all hitting the same tower. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there's a question of like availability, mm -hmm. um, and so it's not something that we're going to like rely on. But that's interesting. Um, yeah. So it's not it's not like a necessarily going to solve everything by any means <laughs> oh wouldn't that be great right 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 i mean yeah. a lot of times hype grows around stuff like that right where it's like oh everything will be possible once this happens but it's like yeah, maybe not. no yeah i mean there's there's a, yeah like that conversation happens a couple times a week with a, with all the different things that are happening sure, yeah, you know, yeah. like People are super jazzed on SRT delivery um, in our industry, which is secure, reliable transport. It's like low latency, high quality video feeds. Um, but, you know, the rollout of that has been challenging. Obviously, not every device accepts it. And so, like, you know, but like for some people, that was like the gold standard. Once SRT happened, then we were like, OK, we're good. We can watch stuff in HD again. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's always something, right? 5G, right. bring it on. Sounds great. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a little, at least somewhat better. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyways, uh, thanks a bunch for, for talking here again. This is Nick Bacon with, uh, mainstream media. So go ahead and check his stuff out and, uh, yeah, hope for the best and keep in contact and, uh, Thanks again. Great, great, great talking to you. For sure. Thanks, Eric. It was nice chatting with you as well. We'll talk soon. Thanks for watching or listening today. If you uh, would like to hear any more or watch any more in the future, just go ahead and subscribe. um, Whichever uh, podcasting platform you listen to or or watch, Uh, we post on YouTube as well as many other um, podcasting platforms. And uh, if you have any questions for us, just go ahead and go over to eventrider.com and you can send us a message through our website there. Thanks and take care.